0: Hello, and welcome to the Zircona Growth Insights Podcast, bringing clarity to the complexities of consumer behavior. Episodes feature industry experts, partners, and guests across the 26 industries we track, representing nearly $4 trillion in global consumer spending. Our goal is to give you transformative insights and the most complete view of consumer and market opportunities. Hello, and welcome to Zircona's Growth Insights Podcast. I'm Joan Driggs. And it's late fall, which means that CES is just around the corner. It is definitely a little premature to be talking about what we're going to see in January. Um, but it is the right time to get a pulse on the tech industry from Paul Gagnon, Serkana's Consumer Technology Industry Advisor. Welcome back, Paul.
1: Thanks very much, Joan. Glad to be back with you.
0: So Paul, um, as listeners may remember from last winter, he has He is entrenched in the tech industry, and he's been doing this for more than 25 years with a special focus on display technologies, as well as the intersectionality of consumer electronics technology, devices, and applications. So that perspective on intersectionality that Paul brings includes the role that technology plays in consumers' lives. So who better to talk to us about tech and its role in our lives during this current economically challenging time? So, Paul, I would love it if you could kind of come at this from two angles. The impact of the current economy on the tech industry. So let's start with that. But then I want to move conversely to tech's roles um, in consumers' lives as if it's changed at all because of what we're going through. So let's start again with that impact of the economy on the industry.
1: Yeah, it's hard not to talk about what's happening, you know, broadly at retail in the market, but very specifically in the tech industry without kind of considering where is the consumer at these days. And it's a very mixed picture. I have lots of discussions with our clients and and other industry uh, folks, and it's been a challenging year in some respects. It's been a good year in some respects. Just this morning, we're hearing about the latest GDP numbers from the third quarter, and it's almost 5% growth in the in the third quarter and better than expected. And you compile that with pretty low unemployment rates, still historically low, up a little from the, the, the lowest points. Um, and it sounds good. And consumers are spending. And we hear a lot about uh, growth in spending for experiences, you know, people spending more money at concerts or sporting events or going on vacations, especially to Europe this year. Um, and, you, and you kind of look at it as a whole and consumers are still behaving in terms of their spending as if things were great, right? Um, but underlying all of that positive economic news are some headwinds. And some of the biggest headwinds that we've been talking about recently are interest rates. You know, part of the the federal government's job is trying to control inflation. And the best way to do that is through rising uh, interest rates. And that is really starting to impact consumers. And when you look at things like mortgage rates on homes going up to 7 8%, that's resulted in a slowdown in the number of people moving. And when I think about that in the context of the tech industry, somebody moving a home is a really prime buying occasion for a lot of different products, whether that's appliances for your kitchen, furniture for your living room, or entertainment, like a a big new TV or home home security system. A lot of these different categories are impacted when people don't move as much. Um, Other things that consumers are dealing with at the moment are the return of student loan repayments. There's about 45 million borrowers in the U.S., and about two-thirds of them have not had to make a payment on their student loan for the better part of the last three years. That's coming due again. And so there's going to have to be some adjustment um, in in people's budgets over the coming quarters. Unfortunately, that lands right at the beginning of the holiday quarter. Um, and, you know, the final thing that I'm kind of looking at kind of big picture economically, that's probably going to weigh on spending in particular for, for the tech category um, is higher interest rates on credit cards. You know, we just conducted our holiday purchase intentions survey and we asked consumers a, a lot of questions. Um, but one of those was whether or not you're going to use your credit card more to sustain spending this holiday season. the answer was yes. But those credit card interest rates have risen to more than 21% on average, and that is far and away higher than it has been for many decades. And probably for a large group of consumers, particularly those younger consumers who are starting to have to make those uh, student loan repayments, they've never seen that before. And right. so that's probably going to weigh on their, their thinking.
0: And we know that you know credit debt overall has never been higher. And that people have even been tapping into their home equity lines of credit. So, even though people are making a lot of those um, experiential purchases, as you mentioned, travel and entertainment, there's got to be a cliff. There's got to be a place where they can't go any further.
1: You know, everybody's been predicting the onset of a steep recession or a recession of some sort for a while now, and consumers keep surprising us. Um, with their spending. And, you know, maybe the reason for it is that, you know, we've just come out of a pandemic and there's some interesting articles recently that talked about, well, people just want to have fun while they have the opportunity to have fun. And they'll kind of worry about paying for that fun later. Um, interestingly, hearing a, a, an interview recently by the CEO of Best Buy talking about funflation, people going out and spending money on these experiences to enjoy themselves after several fairly dark years, and you know maybe that explains why they're doing it. You, you mentioned one point, too, that's really um, key, uh, which is consumers have to find a way to make those expenditures, and credit card debt is one of those. We've seen over a trillion dollars of credit card debt now, which is the highest ever. The other is drawing down of some of that accumulated savings from the pandemic. In 2020 and 2021, consumers were receiving stimulus payments, they weren't able to make purchases other than for things in the home. And so they actually grew savings, paid down credit card debt. And you know a lot of different studies, but it does look like consumers have been significantly drawing down on that accumulated excess savings from the pandemic. And maybe we're nearing a point at which they can't rely on that anymore. And right. so that higher debt will have a bigger impact on their spending choices, probably especially in the next year.
0: So let's let's shift that over then to, you know, to tech. And with more purchases being, um, you know, non-discretionary, is tech non-discretionary? I mean, are there elements of that industry that you, you just got to have it?
1: It's a really fair question for the industry at the moment as to whether or not technology purchases are discretionary or a need. And when we think about the number of products that people purchased during the pandemic, they needed some of those products. They needed a work from home setup, right? So they invested in monitors and peripherals and maybe some additional computers. Um, when you had no choice but to entertain yourself at home, people got a bigger, better TV or a couple extra TVs for the home. You know, Those were kind of necessary purchases. It wasn't really a discretionary purchase. I think what we're heading into now is kind of a choice on the part of consumers about whether or not that previously needed purchase needs to be updated. And you know that really comes down to whether they view that product as a daily necessity um, or something that they can kind of put off replacing until they have more budget available. And that's really kind of the balance that the tech industry is dealing with at the moment
0: and is the tech industry responding by maybe making the case for why now is the time to make that purchase versus waiting or how are they how are they playing that
1: i think they're trying to figure out how to message that and and the and the reason why is because a lot of technology products have a natural replacement cycle or refresh rate that's probably in the range for most tech products of three to five years. Some have much longer replacement cycles. We know things like TVs or appliances, you know, those kinds of products take longer for consumers to decide that they want to get a new one. Um, But you look at monitors or PCs or phones or peripherals or kind of these other tech products, and it's probably in the three to four year range. And for a lot of those purchases that happened in 2020, we are now rolling up to that three to four year beginning of the cycle. And so as I look to next year, I really am looking for manufacturers to start, A, making products that kind of suit the next performance or the next upgrade level above what they have now, and B, how to message that, how to market that product, using that as the context, you know, this big install base of devices that grew during the pandemic Hey, are you thinking about, you know, updating those or making upgrades to those products?
0: And that is such a really good point that you're making right there is how are, how is the next generation of products going to be more innovative or solve for more needs than the current, you know, just a strict replacement, for example, because I think that that is added incentive. You know, if something is really innovative and all of a sudden I think, you know what, that would make my life a lot easier I might be more inclined to make that purchase.
1: There's many different ways to think about innovation. And, you know, I think we can get kind of stuck on innovation for innovation's sake. Um, I think a lot of products come with very iterative changes in either the attributes, the features, or the performance. And in the way that the manufacturer thinks about those products, that might seem innovative. You know, a, a small improvement in a product's performance, you know, going 10% brighter or, you know, 5% longer battery life might seem like an innovation, but to the average consumer, it might not. And just introducing new products each year um, and calling them new and innovative may not be enough anymore. I think manufacturers really do have to start looking beyond just the iterative improvements, and think about significant functional improvements. And we've seen a pause in the number of new products introduced during the pandemic for very good reasons. You know, manufacturers were so focused on getting their supply chains in order, availability of products, and it really wasn't possible to invest heavily in the R&D necessary to kind of come up with these stepwise changes in product performance. But we're now in, at the time when we need to start doing that. And in order to convince those consumers to upgrade a PC at four years, instead of just hanging on for five or six years, is going to take a pretty significant improvement in either the benefits um, through performance or attributes, or maybe just a completely different product category that we haven't thought of. Um, and And I think for manufacturers who look at you know, they're, the, the tech market today is tough, right? Sales are down this year. There's just no way to sugarcoat it. Sales are down this year across the board for most consumer technology products. And it's hard to make the decision to put extra money in the R&D, in the marketing, to be able to kind of position for the upturn. But I think that's exactly what these companies need to start doing and, and probably should have already started doing.
0: Sure. And you know, I can point to a lot of examples in the industry, maybe even the consumer products industry, which is more my space, where manufacturers have innovated with genuine benefits, something really new and unique, and consumers expect to pay more for those products. They're happy to pay more for those products. And in in the tech world, I mean, you don't have to look far, um, probably as far as your phone, to see that we are willing to spend up for something that is going to make our lives a lot easier. Um, so I I can't wait for the next generation of innovation. And I'm not even an earlier adopter. I just i am fascinated by it.
1: You know, this was one of the interesting findings out of our holiday purchase intention survey to me. When I looked at the responses for people who intended to buy a particular tech product, and we break it down by several different categories, When we asked them if they intend to buy those products, there were only two categories that had significant increases in the number of people who said they wanted to buy them versus last year, and that was TVs and PCs. This year so far, we've seen growth in TVs, not in dollars. There's been a hard mix shift to kind of lower price point products, but we've seen unit growth this year. We have not seen growth in PCs. PCs have really struggled this year. But this increase in purchase intentions has me thinking that there are people who are starting to look at making those upgrades. The second part of the survey that really surprised me was that people were willing to pay a lot more for those products than they were last year. We asked, you know, if you're looking to buy a new PC, how much more will you, or how much do you want to spend on it? When we compare those results to last year, they're up like 15, 20%. So I think it both says consumers expect things to cost more. It's the reality of living in an inflationary world. But B, maybe those products that they had to purchase, that need to purchase at the beginning of the pandemic, maybe at the time were just Band-Aid type products. They were products purchased to satisfy an immediate need. You didn't know what your income was going to look like. You just had to get something, whatever was on the shelf and available. In the early days of the pandemic, that was highly variable. Maybe you didn't get the product that really suited what your particular needs were. Now you're coming back into the market for that new product you are willing to spend more to get something that better suits what you use that product for, whether it's you know the performance, the features, the capabilities, the services attached to those products. I think consumers are a bit more mindful about what they're buying today.
0: That's awesome. That's fascinating, especially the part about like maybe they were making do. And again, going back to CPG, we have what we refer to as like a, re- a reference price point. You know, you remember what you paid for a certain product a couple years ago, so every time you go to the store, it hurts. But if you haven't made that purchase for four years, um, and even then you weren't thrilled with it, it was a almost, a I hate to say it, a grudge purchase, um, yes, you're right. We are used to paying higher prices, and maybe people think, like, to get what I want, I'm going to have to pay that higher price. That is super interesting. So, Let's talk a little bit about some consumer behavior and, and how they're shopping. Um, You know, for example, are people shopping around at stores? Are they doing their homework online? Where is, where is the purchase taking place?
1: One of the big changes that accelerated during the pandemic was the pivot to online shopping. And a lot of consumers were very comfortable with that prior to the pandemic but the pandemic forced some behavior changes for others. And when we look at the share of sales that occur online today, even though, you know, pandemic-wise, we've been able to shop in stores now for a couple of years. When we look at the uh, share of sales today, they are still 5, 10, 15 percentage points higher purchased online than they were prior to the pandemic. So some of those behavior changes have stuck. And probably for reasons of convenience, right? having something delivered to your home um, is certainly more convenient than getting in the car and going to the store and purchasing it. And in many cases, it doesn't really involve much of a time delay between when you make the purchase and you receive the product one or two days. Um, and that—that that is something that all retailers have done a great job of accelerating that omni-channel pivot during the pandemic. Um the other thing is people are increasingly making those purchases through third party marketplaces in some of these online channels. So you you look at somebody um like, like Walmart or Amazon who have these big, you know, online marketplaces, it's not necessarily the product that you purchase coming directly from Amazon, it could be coming from another retail merchant that is using that platform and we've seen growth again in almost every single product category and the share of people making those purchases through those marketplace uh, stores within the online channel. So two big changes that have occurred um, over the past three or four years since the pandemic started. There are some product categories where it's just far easier to make the purchase in a store. Either you need it right away or you really wanna judge the performance or the other you know kind of physical kick the tires if you will you know people buy cars online but most people still go into a dealership to kind of look at the product and see what the car looks like and the same is true for i think a lot of key especially bigger ticket product categories where in the store is where you can see what the picture quality looks like on a TV or how the doors open on a refrigerator or how the microwave works you know these are things that are hard to assess online and TV brands uh, in particular have realized that that in-store showcasing of the product is so, so, so important to triggering a purchase or convincing a consumer that they want the next model up that has better performance attributes that you just cannot determine online when you're looking at a retail store. So there are still categories in which that in-store performance is important, but by and large, most categories, we've seen a shift to more online purchasing.
0: That's interesting. And and I really associated the online with maybe having a checklist of specs that you were looking for in a a given product and being able to see that very clearly online. But you make a really good point about the importance of shopping in-store or good in-store experience to see If it really has all the visible um, attributes that you're looking for and maybe even to talk to a professional i mean it it probably beats the little chat bot on the you know on your on your screen right
1: yeah i mean the 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 knowledge of an associate in the store is is just i mean it exists where it doesn't exist online Uh, they they use the products they interact with people who ask questions all day long about the products and so their knowledge is just going to be higher than what you can get online. And I'm sure retailers are all looking at ways that they can improve the experience, the question and answer, a way to get away from when the old days of the tech industry we used to call the speeds and feeds, or you know, how fast did the printer print pages? And you know, all those sorts of things. Those are checkbox items that become difficult to compete on because you know, you can have the same exact you know, number next to this particular attribute as a much lower price competitor has. But it's hard to really judge whether or not A, that's accurate and B, whether it's really what I want until you go into a store and kind of find out for yourself what that means. You know, uh, in in TV is a a category I'm very familiar with. There there are performance attributes called, um, related to brightness called knits. Well, how many people know what a knit is? And when you go onto a retailer's website and you see this one has 2,500 nits and this one has 1,500, what does that even mean? And so it's really hard to do that until you go into a store and you see what brightness gets you. And you can ask an associate what really the benefit of that is.
0: Well, and I am kind of laughing at speeds and feeds, too, because... Are we still using printers? I don't know. They are still
1: a big category, believe it or not. People still do buy lots of printers.
0: Okay. Um. So you mentioned a couple of things tied to the holiday purchase intent survey and also like what's selling right now. So I think that's kind of interesting. And I'd like to dig into that a little bit because you mentioned that when you were talking to people about their intent to buy like TVs and PCs, um. there's an intention although for right now TVs are selling and PCs are not but can you give us a little bit of you know what you think the outlook for the holiday might be and some and if, if there is any any silver lining
1: yeah we we talked a little bit about this back in July when we released our our future of tech forecast and although we haven't updated that forecast we'll, next one will be coming out during CES so please stay tuned um When we look at the sales forecast for the holiday season, we we had it down a bit. We had it down about 3% for dollars and units. And most categories, we had it down um, compared to last year. And if if anybody remembers the holiday season in 2022, it was a tough one for the tech industry, mostly because we were uh, comparing against 2021, which saw fantastic sales in the fourth quarter so we are really kind of coming back to a normal cadence of holiday purchasing and this holiday season's it's probably going to be a little bit tough it may look a little bit like 2019 in terms of overall demand um but people are looking for value right now and we see that in, in the price points uh that are seeing share growth in a lot of different product categories Um, We see that in promotions. When we look at a lot of our different promotional metrics, one thing that has stood out to me is that consumers don't seem to be reacting as strongly to big promotional time periods or events. Um, And when they do, they're mainly reacting to the deeper discounts. And so what I've seen lately is manufacturers seem to be pulling back on the number of models that they put on promotion in any given week any given promotional event and the ones that they do put on sale they put on sale for a little bit of a deeper discount to try to get a more direct um, response from the consumers as we head into the holiday season this year that is going to be the name of the game we are going to be expecting to see manufacturers not put as many models on sale but become laser focused on getting a good response for those key promotional items and you know the the holiday season this year is going to be shifted a little bit later you know christmas falls on a monday that means that we've got basically two weeks worth of sales that kind of associate with christmas and consumers indicated in the purchase intention survey that they're starting a little bit later and that they'll finish a little bit later they are waiting what i think is they're waiting for kind of the heart of the holiday season And they think they'll get the biggest discounts. And so that will be the key is being very tactical and reactionary, um, especially toward the end of the holiday season. We know that some consumers just kind of wait until the last minute, hoping for the biggest discount. And maybe if manufacturers hold back a little bit of that promotional budget for the very end, they might find a more receptive audience because people are kind of waiting for later in the season.
0: And maybe that's when they'll clean out some of the inventory as they make way for all the innovation that we really hope is in the pipeline, right?
1: Right. We hope so, right?
0: Yeah. So I kind of want to wrap up a little bit in talking about innovation because, again, you are thinking ahead to CES. You know, you mentioned it a couple times. So what are some of the things that you'll be looking for? And I don't know if you can, you know, crystal ball any types of innovation, but give me like a, just a couple of the of the questions that you're going to be walking into CES with hoping that the show answers for you
1: well, this will be my 22nd CES fortunately getting back into the in in person again over the last couple of years has been nice um I, there are a few things i'm looking for the first is we just talked about it true innovation not just marginal changes or color changes or you know kind of surface based changes that consumers will probably dismiss right Mm -hmm. i think consumers we've seen this in a lot of product categories where consumers seem willing to just wait a little bit longer phones have been a great example of not a lot of big big changes the past few cycles and so consumers seem to be holding on to their phones a little bit longer or purchasing refurbished products because a three-year-old refurbished model might be just exactly what they need, same as what they could get from a model today, but save a lot of money. So I'm looking for products that really kind of make a big step change improvement in the attributes or or the performance that could justify triggering some of those pandemic era purchase upgrades. So that's one thing. Um, The second is, I think that more and more these days, It's not just about hardware. It's about the entire wrapper of hardware plus services. And I think some manufacturers do a great job of, you know, conveying improvements, not just based on the hardware differences from the previous generation, but the extra you know services that come along with that. And services sometimes get some bad rap as just extra ways to add money to a purchase that just keep on going. But that is how people consume products. You buy a security camera today, you're buying it typically with a monthly service fee and whatever the capabilities that that service provides two, three, four years from now, go into your thinking about how you make that purchase today. So I think I'm looking for a lot of different product categories, not just what the speeds and feeds are of that product, but what extra benefits come with the ecosystem of services that are associated. with it?
0: I like that. I um, um, bought a lot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: And then the final thing that I'm looking for, and, and we've, we've had some recent calls where this has come up is home automation and the, the ideal view of the smart home in the future has been a CES heavyweight topic for years and years and years and years. and, this past CES, uh, the implementation of a new standard that was supposed to make it easier for a lot of different smart home products to work together seamlessly and thereby encourage more adoption of those products hasn't really panned out that way in, in, in 2023. And when we look at the sale of different home automation and smart home products that adopt that standard, it's it hasn't really seen as much growth as I think, the industry was hoping for this year so maybe we can get a reboot and and maybe part of the reason for that is that a lot of the products that were announced at ces the matter standard had just rolled out a few uh months before and so there wasn't enough time to come to market with a new product so i'll be looking to see if we can kind of reboot that for 2024 and ces will be when we probably see some of those announcements
0: and if ces can figure it out maybe they can share it with our um our government and we can all come together and, and work together.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Everybody could use a little bit of help working together (laughs) these days.
0: Um, Paul, this has been delightful. And I know that this is like the first of what I hope will be many conversations leading up to CES um, because it's an exciting arena um where we are seeing again year after year more industries come together and find the value in CES so um kind of like your home automation it just keeps it all just kind of keeps coming together for the consumer so i want to recap a couple of the things that you um you shared with us today and the first was you introduced me to a new term funflation which i know it wasn't yours i can't
1: take claim for that term somebody else came up with that term but
0: <laughs> i know but i love it because it does explain so much about how people are you know trying to we've seen the, the resurgence of travel and entertainment and and experiential spending because you know we we've got to enjoy it because for years we really weren't um i i appreciate always i know that you've said this before that we were making a lot of purchases at the outside of the pandemic but that now you know tech is kind of a choice it's not necessarily um the purchases that we're making right now aren't they're just starting to come into their replenishment cycle so for a lot of it it could be something refurbished it could be you know show me what's new that's really going to move the needle on my life um, because i have choices there um And I like what you always say about innovation, that it really needs to be significant. And um, I know that that's going to be one of the things that you're looking for at CES. I'm not shocked at your purchase intention survey for the holidays. And I believe that people are feeling that the purchases that they make are going to have to be very thoughtful. And I completely appreciate looking for the deal. So that I hope manufacturers really do put out the deals, whatever strategy they want, whether they want to wait and put it into a few items. Great. People are hungry for a deal. And then I want to wrap up with the other things you're going to be looking for at CES, because maybe we can tease some of them out a little bit in advance. And that is the hardware plus the services that come with the hardware, whether it's a monthly subscription or even just how you operate it. Um, and then you're going to be looking for new standards for making the smart home products really work well together. Um, I'm confident. I'm an optimist. It's going to happen. So with that, I want to thank you for your time and I'll look forward to our next conversation.
1: Yeah, it's great to be with you, Joan. Looking forward to previewing CES in the months to come.
0: Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the Sarcotic Growth Insights podcast so you don't miss an episode. And let us know what you'd like us to cover. We'll serve it up in a future episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review Zirconic Growth Insights. Want to learn more? Visit us at zircona.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.